All right. Well, good morning again. I'm glad that you're able to join us today. I hope that you had a good week. You can't tell by looking outside, but we did have some warmer weather this week, and it was kind of beautiful outside for a few of those days. Makes you a little bit more lively. Maybe you want to do some home projects, get outside, spruce some things up a little bit, and you get to see some other people outside. And for a people watcher like me, I love to be able to see people and just kind of observe. And you know, some of those times when you're observing people, you just are forced to stop and stare. Similar to like any day in Walmart. And, and you could just think like, what is going on here? You ever come across that thought, that mindset? You know, you're just kind of a little confuzzled about how to react and how to respond with what you see before you. And you know, we understand that we're not supposed to judge by appearances because we can be fooled behind the truth of the matter. We don't judge a book by its cover, so forth and so on. We all know these things. But when you're faced with something that you cannot really explain, what is your response? How do you react? You know, this is kind of a question that I want us to ponder a little bit as we start our next series in the Minor Prophets, and that is through the book of Habakkuk. Hopefully you've been able to spend some time. Um, if not, you know, we're going to be in the Habakkuk for the next three weeks, so you can look that book up and read through it. Again, it's a short book, but we're going to find, you know, things aren't always the way that he expects them to be. They're not going to happen in the way that he originally plans. You know, and like many of the prophets, uh, you'll find that they have a very good understanding of who God is. They understand his nature, and they're proclaiming that very well. Um, but yet, they are still surprised in the way that God responds, in the way that God acts on behalf of his people. And through this series, we're going to explore how perhaps we handle the unexpected and how we treat the holiness of God in terms of the evil that is around us. Hopefully to expose some of our shortcomings and perhaps repent of some of those errors. So if you have your Bibles, uh, today we're going to read the first 12 verses. Beginning in verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. 
They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand, at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men, whose own might is their God. Father, as we go to your word today, I just thank you for your truths, and I pray that you would allow us to have humble hearts this morning as we contemplate uh, this complaint, as we think about your answer, and Lord, that your truth and your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I wanted to cover this first complaint and response this week, and we'll tackle the second one next week, and then the third week we'll cover chapter three. Um, But you know, as we start a new book, uh, I like to cover some of the background just so that we can understand what's going on in the circumstances so that we can bring some familiarity. You know, Habakkuk, uh, he is during the time of the fall of Judah, Um, somewhere between 640 and 605 B.C., so uh, through a couple of different kings that he will be serving under. He's a contemporary to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah spoke on the wickedness of the people. However, Habakkuk wrestled with the problem of evil itself. So this book is more along the lines of trying to find an answer to a problem than it is to give a warning or judgment to a specific people group. Now, there is judgment within this book for sure, but again, it's just a different approach. Uh, You have a back and forth with the complaints and answers, and you have that song or psalm type of chapter three. So it's kind of unique in its style and its approach to a very serious and difficult subject. You think about the subject and the topic of evil. It is one that confuses many people of how to understand it well. There's been many thoughts and concerns on this topic throughout history. Um, Of the minor prophets, I would say Habakkuk wrestles with this more than anybody else. Um, This is a problem that deeply vexes him, and he's trying to find this solution because he understands the holiness of God. And this is very important for us to understand in terms of how we approach what he says. And it's something that we're going to have to remember. Because the problem of evil does not make sense in his mind in terms of how he viewed God. He asks some of the most penetrating questions on the subject. And his response shows a proper view of God and his his relation to history. His questions come more from the standpoint of why God would tolerate evil. So this has implications for all of us today. You know, you think about the culture that we live in, you think about the world and different questions and books that you read about evil. Um, When we understand evil, when we understand the holiness of God, I would say our understanding is somewhat weak. You think about questions that are asked about evil. They usually go something like this. You know, if God is so good, you know, hypothetical because we're not sure if God is real, but if he is so good, why is there evil in the world? Perhaps you've tried to field that question before from some non-believers. A question that many people, I think, struggle through. But the form of that question is against the character and the person of God. Whereas Habakkuk approaches it from the standpoint of, why have you not punished evil yet? 
Again, he is not demeaning the character of God at all, but rather upholding God's justice and his holiness. There's no doubt about the existence of God in his mind, but rather he lacks an understanding patience, something that we talked a little bit about this morning in Sunday school. Understanding the means at which God will use at times. That is what Habakkuk is struggling with. And I think that we can all struggle with similarity type of, similar type of things, especially when we reflect on what we talked about with Nahum. You know, we want God's wrath to come down in the way that we want it because, you know, God works for me. That's how we sometimes can get into that type of pattern. Whereas Habakkuk is seeking God so that he can gain an understanding, so he can gain in wisdom. And he rightly shares the character of God throughout this book. You also will find the often repeated message uh, from the Bible that the righteous will live by faith. So, you know, we compare the questions of today and we see the, the difference in questioning God with the purpose of are we hard-hearted? Are we rejecting him um, straight forth as the questions today would propose or do we look at it from Habakkuk's standpoint of who he is seeking justice from? that he wants the justice of God to come forth based on his character. So Habakkuk, he lived under two kings, Josiah and then his son Jehoiakim. During this time, the Judeans would be getting pressure on all sides. They were looking to other nations for help. Um, they were looking to Egypt. They were even looking to Assyria as the growing power of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were coming into power. And they were crying out to many false gods, whoever it was that can help them. You know, even in the temple, they were desecrating the temple by making sacrifices to idols. And you really see that in the opening chapters of the book of Ezekiel, if you want to get that picture, because the, the Spirit of the Lord takes Ezekiel behind those walls to see what's going on. So there's this vast wickedness among those in Judea, and that's the context uh, of this opening complaint that he has. Now, it is going to be a little bit awkward as we separate the complaints because we're going to kind of be left with the response of God for us to wrestle with until next week to see how Habakkuk comes back with that. But I think it's important for us to wrestle, for us to spend some time in the world, word and think about some of these issues that are presented. But let's focus on verses 2 through 4 to begin with. So when we look at verses two through four, we have to understand that this is a complaint about the internal injustices that are going on in the land of Judah. He's speaking of violence, uh, of, of evil that's going on to where the law has no effect on the people and their evilness is just coming out. So he cries out, how long, O Lord? Now, of course, this is addressed to God, wanting him to judge that evil. And a question, perhaps, that we too have uttered concerning various struggles and trials in the face of evil in our own lives. Remembering that we come from that instant me generation and that we want things right now. We too kind of lack in that understanding of patience. With God, patience is needed. But you know, when we look into the question, how long, O oh Lord, many of us struggle through brokenness, through conflicts, through trials, crying out about this as well, where we see injustices around us, where we see uh, evil going on and we want things to be resolved. 
You know, when we cry out about injustices, many times we have to understand whether or not they are true injustices or whether or not they are preferences, things that we just want to have happen. We'll get to that a little bit more in terms of how we treat those things. But I want us to look at how Habakkuk is crying out here. You know, Habakkuk isn't just going before the Lord saying, oh, hey God, how are you? Uh, it's me again, don't mean to be a bother. Uh, hey, you know Mrs. Jenkins down the road? Yeah, she was caught in adultery again. So I just wondered when she was going to get stoned because I want to put that on the calendar. Don't, don't want to miss that. You know, it's going to be a good time, right? But, you know, if you get time, just l- let me know. No, this is a shout. This is a roar. He's crying out, help! That woke you up, didn't it? <laughs> Somebody's being robbed. They're, doing, they're desecrating your temple. There's violence going on. I mean, he is, you can sense his urgency, his passion for the, for the holiness of the name of God. They're desecrating the name of God. They're desecrating his temple. And he wants them to face judgment because it's not right. It's evil. It's unjust. That's a passion and an urgency that I think is missing from our own prayers. Where these people are worshiping false gods, they're doing these unspeakable acts. And he is crying out for justice for the sake of God's name. A key point that we want to hold throughout this entire book. As we, especially as we think about those own time, our own times that we cry out. Who is the justice for? Is it for us? Or is it for the name of God? Nine times out of ten, it's for us. So he cries out to God. And here's the first point I want us to consider. Habakkuk takes this complaint to God. You know, when we see injustices, when we see evil around us, when it's committed against us, are we taking things to the Lord? Yeah, we can cry follow in the moment and we're trying to process different things and we understand how the scripture leads us to go to our brothers who we have something against and reconcile with our brothers. But I'm hoping that as we do that, we're also keeping Paul's teaching in mind to pray without ceasing so that we are before the Lord as we deal with these conflict resolution type of things. You know, when we, when we understand how we are to go before the Lord we can reflect on what we actually do. Because how often does something happen to us and we complain and we grumble and we gossip and we talk bad about people? We grumble and complain because, well, that's my spiritual gift and I'm good at it. It's not called grumbling when I'm right, is it? course it's got to be their fault now I don't want to discount against any actual injustices but I want us to search our hearts and minds in terms of how we actually treat injustice how we view grumbling and complaining you know if our justice or the injustices are just about things that we don't like or preferences then perhaps we have the right wrong heart motive you know, remember what the Bible says about complaining and grumbling. And we covered a few of those verses this morning. 
But some other ones from the New Testament, James 5, verse 9, says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I've always loved that verse. It's a tough one. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, with these types of scriptures in our hearts and minds, I want us to try to understand the difference of how to seek understanding from God as you see injustices versus just complaining because of our preferences and desires. Now, depending on what side of an argument you're on, you will probably assume that your position is noble and it's right and what you're doing is not complaining, but rather something evil is being done to you. Whereas if others have the complaint about you, you would probably think that they're just complaining. I think those are natural reactions in terms of self-preservation, in terms of building up ourselves, right? Criticism, when it's genuine, can be difficult to hear, can be easy to give. But within all of that mess, from time to time that we go through, we want to learn from Habakkuk and we want to seek understanding from the Lord. You know, with the problems that we have and with the things that we see, we need to seek him in prayer and fasting and his word. And as we go to him, just like we read here, just like we read in Lamentations, just like you see in Job, share your heart and be honest. You see the honesty of the cry that Habakkuk has here. Again, for the sake of the justice in the name of God. When you think about what you share with others, even those that you are really close to, how honest are you? Do we hide things? Do we share the full truth? You know, when I sit with people to counsel and things like that, I make things upfront as I can right from the start, that I understand I'm only getting one side of the story, that I'm sure that there's going to be some other issues going on and that within conflicts, most of the time, both parties are at fault. And I try to make sure that people understand that. See, the problems and situations that we face, we should be taking all things to him and being open and honest with him. But as a form of seeking understanding, not as in a form of an indictment against him or his character. I think that we need to understand that a little bit better in our prayer life. Now, when we analyze Judah and what's going on and what Habakkuk is dressing here, the people are corrupt. They are doing all kinds of evil. The justice system is perverted. The law is paralyzed. There are moral failings happening all over the place. And this is the people of God. Okay, This isn't talking about the Babylonians yet. The place that they should turn is to God, but they're turning to everywhere else. Now, if you recall in some of the history with Kings and Chronicles, Josiah was the king where the priests found the law on a back shelf in the temple somewhere, and they brought it to the king, and they read it before the people, and they repented. You know, they were grieved, and they, they repented of their attitude, and they turned back to the Lord. Then his son takes over. Even though they're kind of already on decline, the son takes over, and through his leadership, the people of God turn away again. 
Now, just like we talked about with Nahum, how fast does it take for a nation, for a people group to turn? Here, it's one generation. Yes, they were already on that decline. But I think that this is a similar attitude, perhaps, to what the Assyrians would have been facing. You know, if you can recall what we read, you know, the Assyrians thought, hey, we've already conquered your brothers in the north. God didn't stop us then, so we're going to come and conquer you too. You know, they couldn't miss. They thought that they were the kings. They thought they were the lions. They were the strong ones. And here's these people in Judah who have been living corrupt, evil lives. They, they read the word. They see the consequences in the word. Well, I mean, none of these consequences are happening, so I guess, I guess there's no teeth to it. There's no strength to this word. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because, you know, we're not getting those consequences. An analogy for you. I always tend to throw my children under the bus, but there are definitely times as a parent where you're a little bit more inconsistent, let's say, with punishment and rules because maybe you're tired. But those times that you're consistent and you say, yep, nope, you didn't do this, this, and this, so, you know, no screens. Well, that's not fair. We didn't do that last week and we had screens. True, that's my fault as a parent, However, you know the rules. You know right from wrong, and you knew what you were supposed to do. With those in Judah, in the same way, they knew right from wrong. They heard the word read to them, yet they still chose to go the opposite direction. Now they're going to have to face the judgment and the consequences. Even if they cry foul. You know, just because the punishment comes, just because the punishment may not come swift does not excuse you from knowing and doing right from wrong. So when the judges that are in Judah are allowing murder, theft, fornication, injustices to go unchecked, unpunished, God will call the entire nation to account. They will all be judged. They knew right from wrong and they did not stand for the truth. These unpunished crimes were polluting the land and they were going to pay for it. Now, We can just sit right here and think, well, God's going to punish those who commit those evil deeds, right? Sure. You know, judgment is going to come. But that doesn't mean that everybody is not caught up in the judgment. You know, as we've talked about in terms of our nation and the way that they're going, you think about, okay, if one day a foreign nation comes in to invade America, we cannot sit here and think that, oh, we're going to be protected. God's going to protect us because we're in a church. Or that the enemy is going to say, oh yes, you're right, you do have that First Amendment right. You can just say whatever you want about me. Or the enemy is not going to care if we're offended if they're not using our proper pronouns. We're all going to be caught up in that type of a judgment. Some will be captive, some will be killed. But not one of us will have a leg to stand on when it comes. Because as a nation, even as Christians, we know right from wrong. Are we standing for the truth? When a church talks about justice, many times anymore it gets tied to the social gospel. Now I had mentioned the social gospel in the past and I understand how people bristle at that. How the culture uses it. Where those issues become the agenda. Going to try to See if I can word it better this time. 
and know that I am talking about the issues and not a push for the movement. But the present day church is good about pointing out evil in general as if it exists and it's somewhere out there in the ether. Yeah, I understand there's poor, there's hungry, there's homeless, there's abused, there's the least of these. They do exist and things should be done. And we give that part of it good lip service. But we tend to be separated from actually upholding justice because we don't want to be in lumped in with the movement or we don't know what to do. But when it comes to tangible injustices, I think that there's plenty right here in front of us. I will say injustices and evil together. I'm going to kind of lump that understanding together because I would say that the church is just as neutered in its response and what it needs to declare in terms of declaring itself more boldly against sin, against injustices, against things that God hates. To, to declare more boldly about things like divorce, things like anger, unrepentant hearts that only care for the salvation of the Lord but not his lordship. Drunkenness, pornography, sexual immorality, self-righteousness, control and manipulation, gossip. Do I need to go on? I mean, it's easy to say that evil is out there. But when we bring it to right here and what we're struggling with and what we're dealing with, we touch on some tough issues. You know, if we tackle the issues of injustice, perhaps we do like to keep the focus towards the bigger cities and the bigger churches where it's randomly out there. We demonize social justice issues. That way it's not personal. That way it's not me being judged if I'm told that I'm doing something wrong. That way I don't actually have to repent from those things that I love to do. And we can focus on something else. See, the church needs to be more free to address some of these things. We have an obligation as the church to stand for truth. Preaching not merely just an ideology, but pointing out the injustices that are happening right within our walls. While yes, we understand that the terms and the ideologies hijacked in our culture today, and that's unfortunate, because what you have happen then is, especially in more of your conservative churches, they reject anything to do with the social movements. And then they become isolationists. They fall back on their heels and they don't address any of the injustices in our culture out of fear of being lumped in with that movement. We don't address anything as evil because our own evils may be exposed. And we just hide. And we wear masks. Or maybe we just hit on the really bad ones that don't really impact us. Maybe we'll just hit hard the, the LGBTQ community. But, you know, maybe, just maybe, it does impact us. But we have to be quiet about it. And we don't share our hearts about it. And we don't share the struggles that we have. 
you know, when you think about the struggles and the evils and the injustices that we have, many times we don't bring them up because we don't want to share our true hearts. We don't want to share our pains because we don't think that we're going to find comfort and love from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, we're going to find judgment. We're going to find distance. And it's a hard path to walk when you're walking it alone. I'll pick on the men since I'm a man. Pornography pushes us into silence and to guilt. We walk, we walk that road alone. We don't tell anyone because we're guilty and we know that it's wrong, but we're trapped. Women, there are evils that you hide as well. There are imperfections that you have learned to subtly cover up from an early age with makeup. Why? See, I think it goes back to Adam and Eve who hid in the garden to where we want to hide because sin separates us from God. And when we are stuck in sin, we do what we can to hide and to cover it up. We go, we turn to every direction that we shouldn't turn to and avoid the one that we need to, and that is to God. If we're proclaiming the gospel in its entirety, we're going to address the least of these. We're going to address the injustices and the evil that is within our lives and within our doors. As a Christian, we don't really have the right to be offended because we are called out for our sin and for our evil. You know, if, if a pastor, not myself included, but you know, if a pastor ever calls you out for different sins, what do we do in today's day and age? Oh, it's getting tough, there's the door. Getting too close to home. I don't really wanna deal with those types of things. You know, that's a consumerist mentality that has plagued many of our churches. Because it's easy. It's easy believism. You come, you hear a good message, you feel good about yourself, and you go on. The concerns that Habakkuk has in his first complaint are against God's people. As a pastor, there are concerns that I have about Christians. Not just the ones that are out there, but the ones in here. About this Christian here. There's not enough buy-in to a church body, to actually be the church body. To be hands and feet for one another. To weep when others weep. To celebrate and rejoice when others rejoice. It's not point fingers about whose problem it is and complain about them, but let's seek the Lord into how to address some of these injustices because of the evil among us. It is sullying the name of God. His holiness being upheld is what we need to be concerned more about. Not whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. But glorifying and magnifying the name of the Father. That's what his people should be about. Not ignoring the injustices. I don't know, I don't know the scriptures by heart, but if you can find me a passage that says that we are to ignore the injustices around us, I'll recant this entire message. 
So we have all of this going on. And Habakkuk is crying out to God because of what he sees. And then God gives his reply. And perhaps you can recognize in verse five, um, I've heard this verse quoted often, in terms of how the Lord is gonna do this great thing, it's gonna be a marvelous thing, it's gonna be awesome, God's so good to me, it's gonna be great, my life's gonna turn around, just wait and see. Now, while I definitely believe God can do the impossible and that he works in mysterious ways and that he will work everything out for our good, what I hear being quoted oftentimes does not carry the same weight or perspective that's found in this passage. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say you have an alcoholic relative that you're gonna have an intervention for and you try to get some family members to come alongside and you get the patriarch of the family to come down and he's on board, he's like, okay, yep, let's deal with this person. Here's my solution, more alcohol. What, what, what do you mean, Lord? What do you mean? You know, Habakkuk is crying out about all of this violence, about all of this evil. And here's God saying, guess what I'm gonna do? It's gonna be great. More violence. Because it's time for their judgment. They want want lawlessness? Boy, they're gonna get it. You know, it's one of those types of things of be careful what you wish for. You know, where the Lord will give them over to the desires of their heart. You know, and as, as we see how he, we, we are to look, to watch, to be utterly astounded because he's going to work in a way of judgment first, in a way that they would least expect, but however would be the right course of action because he knows what he's doing. It'd be something similar to the early church and the Jewish Christians having a party celebrating about salvation and then here come all these Gentiles in like, wait, what, what? why are they coming in? Come on, Lord, that's not, what, that's not what the deal was supposed to be. You know, that same type of feeling of unexpectedness is gonna happen here in, in this situation. Again, when we think we know what God's going to do, he's going to surprise us. So we have to be careful of the boxes that we're putting him in. Again, trying to control. And instead, we need to sit at his feet and learn from him in wisdom. You know, through my life, there have been various times in ministry especially where I've had to just let go and say, all right, you're in control because I have no means. I have no idea what's going on with any of this. My first ministry was nothing that I expected. Um, it, It just was beyond my expectations in terms of it wasn't something I could contain. It wasn't something I could control. Instead, it was a work of the Lord that promoted such a strong growth and resurgence among kids that were definitely among the least of these. It was such a beautiful thing to watch. You know, some of those kids came out of that youth group stronger and serving the Lord now. Some of them passed away and have not made it. Some of them have turned and rejected the gospel. You know, through that time, I was able to look with awe and wonder where I could only share a message that was placed on my heart because I didn't have the training, I didn't have the know-how, I didn't have the support. I didn't have the words to say. Um, People were against us. You know, I lost 
church people because as they were standing there in their cookie-cutter form of what youth group should be, here come all of these ruffians into youth group. And they were like, what? Where's the door? And I lost at least 15 people because they didn't think that's what youth group should be about. Elders coming down about how, how, how unruly some of these kids were. And, you know, I definitely had to incorporate things like nice words. For people that were raised, or the F word was just used as a common form of language. But to see how God transitions and moves in those kids' lives was something that I could not even dream of. I learned very early on not to pit my versions of success based on what books think, what tradition thinks, or what the church elders approved of. I learned very early on that I needed to sit at the feet of God and learn from him and get my wisdom from there. And the ministry exploded beyond what anybody could contain. It was such a joy to be a part of as I saw, and understa- saw understanding through that, because you know you see something like that, well, your immediate thought is, let's replicate it, let's do it again. And here comes little control warriors trying to figure it out. But I had to learn just to let go, that his ways were above mine. And if I'm able to do that, man, you can see some awesome things as God works through you and through your ministries. You know, the rest of the response that the Lord gives here, he's just describing the Chaldeans, who is another name for the Babylonians. He is describing their love for violence, their lawlessness, their unprincipled nature, that they would make up laws as they go. Uh, Those in Judah, they would experience this, this lawlessness that they kind of craved. You know, what they wanted was autonomy. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do, They wanted lawlessness. They didn't want God's law over them. So as God kind of gives them that lawlessness, they end up getting conquered because they have forsaken the ways of the Lord. Now the Babylonians, they loved violence. As you look at verses 9 and 10, you can really see that come out. They're ready for it. They laugh. They scoff at kings. They love high walls because it's like, just watch us conquer you. Watch, I love to see the despair in your faces when we come and conquer your city. And they advance like a whirlwind. They gather captives as innumerable as the grains of the sand. They were strong, they were swift. And God raised them up to judge his people. Now, Habakkuk, in his response next week, is going to be, why would you use somebody more evil than your own people to judge them? Like, why are you tolerating this evil? But I want us to see and not miss the subtlety found in verse 11. Verse 11 um, says, Then they swept by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. God says that they are guilty men. God says that their might is what they are worshiping, okay? So it's very similar to the Assyrians, and he's, he's not saying, like, the, these are the new chosen people. They're going to get judged, too. These men are guilty. Absolutely, they are evil. But I'm going to use them as a tool for this purpose to judge my own people. 
And that can kind of be difficult for us to understand and wrestle with at times. You know, it tends to be difficult for us to understand how wickedness can prosper. But we have to remember that God is holy, that he does not approve of wickedness, of evil, that he will judge it, but it's in his time. You know, as we went through Nahum, we wrestled with that as well in terms of wanting God to judge in the way that we desire. But in reality, again, his plans, his ways are higher than our own. We are fortunate enough to understand grace and to partake in what God is doing in the world today. You know, even though, you know, you might get people ask different questions about evil and say, you know, why doesn't God do something about sin and about evil in this world? Why, why can't God fix my current situation? You know, an answer and a response that every believer should have is simply that God has done something about evil in this world. 2,000 years ago, he gave his son to die in order to pay for sin. He stepped down into the affairs of this world and won the victory over sin. He has done something with the problem of sin and evil in this world. And as a believer, our hearts and minds are changed from the ways of this world to the ways of God. Yes, some of that is progressive in terms of the sanctification. But because God has already acted, it is now through his word and through the church that the world is supposed to see justice being upheld. Where we stand for the word of God, where we stand for his truth. Yet today, many times, even in churches, we see the world just skipping along merrily, partaking in sin like it's nothing. And the church, and some churches are coming along with them, uh, tolerating and affirming their decisions as they lead down the wide and broad road to destruction rather than standing for the truth of his words. And again, we like to pick on those big sins like homosexuality. But remember, make it personal. Think about those things that you struggle with. Pornography. Divorce, anger, etc., etc. There are genuine instances of injustices, and I'm not giving a blanket okay or excuse for sinful behavior. Boundaries are definitely needed, and they should be followed. Otherwise, there will be consequences that need to be had. But consequences are not for the sake of benefiting me because I believe that I'm owed something. You know, we all need to be broken before God in repentance. We need to avoid getting caught up in thinking like those in Judah about the law and how the law doesn't apply to us. And if it did, I would have been struck down. Lightning would have taken care of me. I would have been judged already. You know, we need to shift our hearts and our minds in our faith that it's not about us, but rather it's about the glory of God. It's about upholding his holiness. You know, we go through struggles in our beliefs in terms of Uh, whether or not God cares about our life and what's happening to me now. And we can sit and wonder, and we we can sit and wonder, how long, O Lord? And we can slowly make faith about ourselves. But the beauty of faith is that we are called into his family to praise and worship him. That we can sit and we can contemplate how we know that God does care for us because he sent his son Through the empty tomb, we understand that the victory is won and that we know that Jesus is coming back as a conquering king. So the things of this world should not shake us. It should not rattle us because God is moving. But as we struggle, we need to seek understanding from him. We need to go to his feet. 
rather than to the latest book, rather than to the latest gossip mill. You know, as a believer who has faith in the risen Jesus, we have to go to him with the complaints that we have, boldly standing for truth as we see different injustices in order to magnify and honor his name and not our own. Again, it's not about us being right. Arguments and injustices that we see deal with, that we deal with on a regular basis is not about me being right, but it's rather it's about honoring the holiness of God. You know, I feel like I've said quite a lot this morning, and I hope that there's time to process all of it. But we'll stop for here today, and we'll pick up in the second complaint next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are just, that you are noble, and that you are true. I am baffled and astounded at the ways uh, that you have revealed yourself, how you have moved through your people. Uh, Most of all, Lord, that you would love us so much that you would send your son to die for us. Father, it's, it's not really explainable. We are caught in awe and wonder because of your majesty, because of your plans, because of your ways. Lord, as I, as I live this life that you've blessed me with, there are many times where I think I have things figured out. But Lord, you never f- cease to amaze me. Each day is a wonder. Each day is an opportunity to experience your mercy anew. And Lord, I cannot thank you enough. Lord, you have given me today to be able to share your word. I pray that every day can be that way for all of us. That we can stand firm for your truth, that we can speak out about injustices, that we would have boldness in our faith because we know without a shadow of a doubt, right from wrong, because we know your word. Give us the strength and the courage to stand up. Give us the strength and the courage, especially when it's in the face of our brothers and sisters. Lord, not not as a way to be right or wrong, but as a way to call one another back to you because you are holy. Lord, I pray for protection against the enemy as he will attack uh, in our weakest places. Lord, you know the struggles that we have, so I just pray, Lord, that we would not hold those things up as idols, as escapes or ways to replace you, but Lord, that we would seek you in all things, that the desire of our heart would be to know you, to know your will. So Father, as we go from here today, I pray for protection this week, and I ask that you would give us time, time to be at your feet, gaining from your understanding. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.